Wonderful. Let's open in prayer. Father, we pray your spirit be upon us tonight. Give us strength and courage. Give us wisdom and compassion. These things are imitators of Christ. And give us peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. These things are marks of the Spirit. Amen. Well, what brought us to all of these Thursday nights was your difficult questions, which you wrote on cards. So I have one, one last from that batch of cards turned in that day or over those days. Um, so I'll address that as well as I can. It's the hardest question in here. And then I want to imitate Paul in 1 Corinthians, who after addressing a series of questions that had come in a previous letter, he said, now I'd like to answer some things that you didn't ask but should have. <laughs> and gave us our famous passages on the resurrection. So um, I'm no senator, you're no apostle Paul, but uh, I'll just follow that format. Okay, here is the, the very difficult question that one of you turned in. How do we as Christians view the transgender movement? How do we love through this and respond to those who view themselves as transgendered? And I would add, all LGBTQ issues to this. So that question got big. In the past weeks, we have discussed LGBTQ plus people in the Bible, and then on a second week in our church, and then a second week in our culture. Tonight, we're going to bring it home. Tonight, we're going to bring it home to the LGBTQ plus people in our own family and in our inner circle of closest friends. As Christians, how we should we be treating people in our day-to-day, everyday, in our own homes, lives? So the first part of this question, how, how do we as Christians view the transgender movement? Um, can't, that question cannot be answered in a sermon. Uh, how do we view an entire transgender movement? cannot be answered in a message because the entire transgender movement includes all sorts of things lumped together. In the transgender movement are people born with biological abnormalities, ambiguous genitalia, presence or absence of both or neither sex gland. That is a completely morally gray area and much of how that's dealt with all falls within what is perfectly acceptable for Christians when you have such clear, I should say clear ambiguity, yeah, clear biological ambiguity. Side by side with that in the transgender movement are forms of transgender expression which seem purely psychological and don't have any anatomical um, parallel. That makes it harder to understand. And there are still other forms that fall within that movement that are just acting out in ways that are certainly unchristian. So there are over 50 types of transgender expression on some websites, all traveling under this one movement. All require Christian compassion, but they, you can't deal with something that broad in a sermon or a message. 
You really have to minister to people person by person, case by case, story by story. The next caveat that we have to face, uh, and I believe we've already been facing it, is that we don't all agree on this issue. Some of you in the room tonight feel that God did not design human bodies and did not design human souls for same-sex relationship and most expressions of being transgendered. Others of you are not sure. You just don't know. While others of you are sure being gay and being transgendered is part of God's creation and should be celebrated in all corners of the church. That's a broad spectrum. At Lakeland, this is a non-essential doctrine. And that means even though we have only ever taught that same-sex practice is not good for the human soul, if you disagree with that, you are not barred from church membership. The same goes for our belief about women pastors. We say yes, but some of you say no. The same goes for infant baptism. We encourage folks to baptize their infants, but you can have yours dedicated if you wish, and we honor and celebrate that. Our essential doctrines, the things we believe Christians must adhere to to build a Christian community, are as follows. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit. One holy Catholic and apostolic church. The communion of saints. The forgiveness of sin. The resurrection of the body. And the life everlasting. And where did we get all of that? from another one of our essential beliefs, that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching and guiding and exhorting us. It is the infallible Word of God and the final authority on all matters on which it speaks. And upon these essentials, we can build a community dedicated to Christ Jesus. Non-essential never means that the issue doesn't matter. And it never means that we don't address the issue. And since so many of you have asked questions about this on your difficult question cards, we're addressing it in a big way this year. This is likely the last time we'll deal with it in this type of format. These talks will become part of our podcast library for anyone coming into our community who's curious about uh, this issue. Doing that will free me. It will free the elders to minister to those who are actually dealing with this issue. I will always talk to anyone who is struggling themselves with same-sex attraction or gender questioning or who have a loved one who is in that situation. I'll talk to any person or any group of people who want to talk about it. It's handled better that way. We can hear the real story and the real heart. And 
no risk of talking at people. It's handled best, as Dan said last week, across the kitchen table is what we discern at this point in our community. But this year we are going this route. So here's where I'd like to begin. First, I'd like to give a few questions, thoughts to consider for those of you who, if you could start your own church at this point from the beginning, you would make it open and affirming of same-sex relationships from the very start. As you're celebrating being gay and Christian, you must decide what sort of gay expression you're talking about. Does the gay love you're celebrate, celebrating include promiscuity? Many of you have already told me that it does not. Does the gay love you're celebrating include premarital exploration? Many of you have told me it doesn't. Others maybe have never asked themselves that question before. Is it only sex between two people who have gotten married and given themselves in an exclusive commitment to one another? This is an interesting story from Richard Mao. He was the president at the time of Fuller Theological Seminary in California. Listen to the story about a conversation that he had with an LGBTQ plus person. I had a, 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 a more radical experience once at an ecumenical gathering where I was the only evangelical on the program. We were in a, a kind of a resort uh, setting. In the evening after I'd spoken, I... I went and uh, with a Diet Coke, uh, shot some pool by myself in the pool room right next to the bar. And uh, one of the, uh, the other delegates came in and said, want to play a game of pool? I said, yeah. And, we, and, and he'd been drinking quite heavily. And, and uh, he said to me, you know, I, I haven't really talked to evangelicals before, but you seem like kind of an intelligent person and kind of a nice guy. Uh, let, me, let me ask you a question. Uh, I'm gay. What do you think of that? And I said, well, let me ask a question. I'm, uh, I'm heterosexual. What do you think of that? <laughs> yeah. If I tell you that I'm a heterosexual, I haven't really told you that much. Yeah. I could be a promiscuous heterosexual. I could be a faithful married heterosexual. I can be uh, engaged. I could fool around a little bit on the side, but not too much. Uh, there, there are many different ways in which I could be a heterosexual. And you really haven't told me much. Uh, so what do you mean? If you really want me to answer the question, tell me something about yourself. He said, well, I'm a pastor in a large city. I'm not married. And he said, I get one weekend off a month to go to another. I go off to another city. I go to gay bars and pick people up. Sometimes I pick two or three guys up in a night. He said, well, what do you think of that? And I said, I'm going to tell you what I, I think. Of. In fact, I'm going to tell you what God thinks of that. He hates it. And I'll tell you why. Because God hates promiscuity. And if you told me you were a heterosexual single person and that you took one weekend a month and went off to uh, heterosexual bars, picked up women, had sexual relationships with uh, many women, I would say the same thing to that person as I'm going to say to you. God hates that promiscuity, and you know it. And he angrily walked out of the room. A month later, he wrote me a note. And he said, uh, I've got to tell you, he said, I was very angry with you that night. But he said, part of it was that you did not answer in the way that I expected you to. I expected you to condemn me as a gay person. And instead, you got me exactly what, where, where I needed to be gotten. 
and that is on the thing of promiscuity. And he said, I just want you to know, I thank you for that, and I'm working on it. A couple months later, he wrote to me, and he said, I've got to tell you, I'm in a committed relationship. Uh, and it grew out of that conversation that you and I had. And he said, I really I feel that I've taken an important step in living in obedience to the will of God. And I wrote back to him, and, and this is all I said, good for you. I'm glad to hear that. A couple years later, he wrote to me. And he said, I just want to tell you that that committed relationship didn't work out. I've left the pastorate, and I'm now a, a member, member of a monastic order, and I've taken a lifelong vow of celibacy. And I wrote back and told him what a wonderful step I believe that was in his life. But, you know, if I had said to him at the, at, the, at the moment that he asked me that question in that bar or in that pool room, uh, God hates you, your being a, a, a person involved in same-sex relations, uh, that would have cut off the conversation. But, but I think all of us, again, all of us, whatever our interpretation of Romans 1, uh, what we ought to be saying together in this highly sexualized, promiscuous culture is that God hates promiscuity. And we need, we need pastoral methods and counseling methods to, at the very least, to call people out of those self-destructive, promiscuous lifestyles into a life of, uh, of, of covenant-making. And we may disagree about what that life of covenant-making, that life of commitment, uh, means. But certainly there are some things that we all ought to be saying without doubt, without, without any arguments about what God's Word teaches, because it's very clear that God tells us that we are not to engage in promiscuous relationships. And so it's very important for us not to, um, to polarize into a, a simple us-versus-them division on this issue. For those of you, if you could start a church, and it would be an open and affirming church, who would plan to take a gay monogamy stance? Are you prepared for how unpopular that is going to be in our culture? Our world is poisoned straight through by sin. It is the ultimate hope of some folks in our world that at the end of the day, everyone would be sexually available to everyone. In fact, before Christianity overwhelmed the world, that's how it was for men. Women had no such rights, but for men, it was. People were married for legal reasons, to know where of all, all their property would go when they died. But their sexual interactions were very flexible for men. In fact, in countries where Christianity has never been the majority religion, it is still that way in some corners of the world. When I was young, my very liberal church co-sponsored a conference where the speaker said this in a seminar titled Reimagining Sexuality and Family, lesbian theologian Mary Hunt said, quote, imagine sex among friends as the norm. Imagine valuing sexual interaction in terms of whether and how it fostered friendship and pleasure. Instead of who is sleeping with whom, imagine if the focus was how do we love each other as friends. Just imagine. Pleasure is our birthright 
of which we have been robbed in religious patriarchy, unquote. She's advocating in the church for sexual relationships just between all friends. Are you prepared to embrace that level of sexual flexibility? What kind of open and affirming Christian are you? What you, will you be telling your own friends and family about your understanding of the will of God should they ask you? What scriptures will back you up? What truth source will you claim as you try to promote gay monogamy? And what about children? I want to ask those who are opening and affirming. Right now, nearly every television show has a gay character. Star Trek now has a gay character. Star Wars promised a gay character in 2017 and then did not deliver. One of the many things Star Wars did not deliver in 2017. <laughs> Big-budget children's animated features include gay characters. This used to be something one had to wrestle with in high school or college or later. But now in our culture, every child in America will have to ask themselves, am I LGBT or some kind of Q? How will you as an open and affirming Christian navigate this? Because we know what the non-Christian world's answer is to this question. Experiment and find out what you like. And that will be what you are. Don't knock anything off the list until you've tried it once, maybe twice. But is that Christian sexuality? If you think kids wake up one morning Understanding their sexual orientation, your understanding is too simplistic. Much of sexuality and gender identity are socialized into us by our peers. There are at least 50 or more LGBTQ plus orientations and expressions, some quite exotic. Open and affirming people must have some program to help kids sort this out besides try them all once or twice. That's promiscuity, and it's not even safe. How fluid and flexible are you? I'll tell you this. If you're, for all of us, if our plan is to ignore this issue and trust that it's going to sort itself out, we become the only person in the world not telling our children how to understand this. School is telling them. Television and movies are telling them. An army of YouTubers are telling them. Internet pornography is telling them. Murals on the wall at the mall are telling them. The public library's book of the week is telling them. Their friends at school are telling them. Their friends' parents at school are telling them. If your plan is to be silent and let it work itself out, it's a terrible plan. And these issues are going to continue to develop. Same-sex relationships and transgender are only the first two alternative expressions of sexuality to come out in a big way into our culture. You're aware of some of the others that have begun to appear, and still others will come. What will you as a Christian be open to and affirm? I'm not giving any answers to those. I thought... 
Those are some thoughts worth considering for everyone who wants to be open and affirming. For the rest of this presentation, I want to speak to those who do not affirm same-sex relationships, but want to know how to react to it when you face it in your own family or in your circle of close friends. First and very simply, we have to remember who Jesus was. Jesus would hang out with extortionists, tax collectors, and prostitutes, and women accused of adultery and drunks, and religious leaders. And they accused him of being a friend of sinners. They said if he were truly a prophet, he would know that it was a sinful woman that is touching him. Those religious leaders who were frowning on Jesus... They're a lot like a lot of us. Some of them probably were just, just jerks. But some of them were genuinely worried about encouraging sin. They worried that by accepting extortionists and prostitutes and eating and conversing with them, they were making it easier for those people to stay that way. They thought that by shunning and ignoring people who sin, by pushing them to the margins of society, that would make it hard on them. And that out there at the margins, the sinners would see the error of their ways, they would repent, they would come back into the mainstream morals of society. But Jesus says otherwise. In that while we were yet sinners, he died for all of us. He came for us where we are. I think most of us know when you ignore people and when you shun people, they don't come around. They pull farther away. They sink deeper into dark subcultures from which there is almost never return. Jesus said, love them. Be where they are. Let them be where you are. That's the only way anyone really sees the face of God and repents. We don't love God because he first shunned us. In fact, we're the ones who started the shunning. We shunned God. And even in that, he didn't leave us. And so now we've changed our minds and we love God because he first loved us. And that means you are not a party to sin if you hang out with gay friends and family. I'm not talking about getting drunk with them, and I'm not talking about going to weird bars with them or parades, but hanging out doing normal stuff that you would do with any friend or any family. And you definitely should never shun your own children. You definitely should never shun your own children. There are far, far too many stories of families disassociating with their gay and transgender children. It doesn't make anything better. It might make things much, much worse. Of children born to traditionalist parents who struggle with LGBTQ identity, one in three contemplate suicide. Shunning will not bring anyone around or whatever it is you're hoping will happen. I love you the same. That's your stance. Because that was Jesus' stance. I love you the same. 
that's your line. Because that was Jesus' line. Shunning and ignoring and hating plays right into the devil's hands. For the devil whispers into the ear of every LGBTQ person and every person who sins. This is who you are. This is the most important part of who you are. And they hate you for it. And when you do hate them for it, you prove the devil right. And after that, he can lead them wherever he wants to take them after that. But the truth is, no one's sexuality is the most important part of who they are. They may also be talented or athletic. They might be funny or smart or all four. Caring, compassionate, driven, ambitious. They may love God. Any one of these things are more important and much closer to the reason you love your child and the reason God loves your child. Don't play into the devil's hands believing yourself that their sexuality is the center of their being. It is not. As we've said, kids are going to ask about this very early, very much earlier than you would like. The advice that came to me and which I now pass to you is, is don't shut that down. But also, don't answer any question beyond what they asked. Children's understanding of the world grows slowly. When they ask a question, they have shelf space for the answer to that question. If you try to, oh, go on the website and watch Pastor Garrett's 12 hours now of content, that's <laughs> more shelf space than they have. You'll ensure you'll never get asked another question for the rest of their life. So answer the question they've asked and see if it leads to another. And if it does, then there must be a little more room on their shelf. If not, then there's not. And always use it as an opportunity to describe the beauty of traditional Christian sexuality. That story might go this way. You know, God made us female and male in His image. So both women and men have something of God in us. And God has great value, you know. That's why we don't even use His name in vain. We treat His name with respect just to show how much value we place on Him. Well, we have some of that value in us. So we treat our bodies with great respect. You know, you go into a museum. Hopefully you've taken your kids to a museum. And you see there's a table there of artifacts, and it says the touch table. It's got usually arrowheads and some fossils. Sometimes in the same room, though, there's an artifact, and it's under glass. Sometimes it has a rope around it. Sometimes it has a security guard. Which artifact is the most valuable? I'm really asking you. <laughs> the one under glass? How can you tell? That's right. It's not the artifacts that just anyone can walk up and touch. It's the one that at first it appears that no one can touch, but yet that's not true, is it? Is there anyone ever allowed to touch the priceless artifact? Yes. 
And for some artifacts, sometimes just one person, the one who is trained and given their life to care for that priceless antique, they are the curator. And it's the same with us. Only one who makes a commitment to marry us and actually follows through with that commitment gets to have all of us after they have committed all of themselves. And God is faithful. He loves us and he never leaves us. So we are also faithful. We promise ourselves to our husband or our wife and we promise to be faithful to them only. And that faithfulness starts right now. Hoping such a person might be in our future, we're faithful to them right now. We're waiting, we're praying for them, even though we may not have met them. But someday, we'll say, I was so willing to be faithful to you, I was faithful to you before we ever met. And I pledge all of me to all of you. And from that comes valuable children, children just like you. That is a beautiful picture of Christian sexuality. Anything else undoes the biology of nature, the biology of male and female, and it does not reflect the nature of God in us. Priceless value and faithfulness. But when this world has its way with us and things don't turn out as we hoped, and your child tells you, I think I may be gay or transgendered, what do you do? 80% of how this goes comes from your first response. So don't freak out. Take a deep breath and silently pray. Don't fly off the handle. Take a deep breath and silently pray. Don't burst into tears. And your next line is, I love you. I will always love you. You're likely to get a response like, so you're okay with it? Let's talk about that tomorrow. But know this, I love you. And I'm glad to know the truth. You know this family loves the truth. It's clunky, but it's bought you some time. And you've kept one of the most important relationships in your life. After that, I do not have rules for you. You'll want advice. You'll want resources. There are organizations like uh, Living Hope Ministries, Spiritual Friends Network, You'll want to talk with other parents in our own church community who have had their children come out to them. Several parents in this congregation have faced this. Some of their children are still gay today. Some are not. You'll want both as a resource for you. You have to reflect who Jesus was. Still love them still be with them. 
What influence and guidance will you have if you push them away? And everyone get ready, for we have some rocky times ahead. And we're going to be here for each other. Do you remember when you were in junior high or a freshman or sophomore in high school and you had your first real best friend and you felt a powerful connection with them and you wanted to hang out with them as much as possible. There were things about them you wanted to imitate. You spent the night at their house every weekend or else they stayed at yours. In the summer, it might have been every night. They called your parents mom and dad as a joke, or maybe not so much of a joke. And you said things like, someday we'll be old and hanging out, and our kids will be playing together. And you said, I think we should go to the same college. And you said, I think we should play on the same team. And you said, I think we'll still be playing Dungeons and Dragons when we're 40 years old. Some of us kept our promise. Do you remember that you and your best friend had a private world? Inside jokes, secret memories, nicknames for everyone outside that private world. Now, it's become common vernacular for parents now, but when I was a kid, it wasn't. My best friend and I called my stepmom the hovercraft. It threw her because G.I. Joe at that time had a playset called the hovercraft, and it was our favorite toy in that playset, so... So we could say things like, have you ever tried to study for a test with a hovercraft in the room? My friend would say, yes, it's loud and very annoying, and we'd both have a great laugh. (laughs) Well, you know what our current culture, youth culture, calls that level of intimacy? That's gay. You're sleeping together. You're growing old together. You have a private world. That's gay. I'm not making this up. If you have that kind of relationship, your friends will say, I ship that. I ship that hard. If you don't know what I ship that means, ask your junior high friend. I would never, ever have put this page in this message had it not cropped up in our community three times in rapid succession at the time I was writing it. I personally know families who have had their children distraught in junior high and high school because they could not understand the feelings they had for their first best friend because our culture sexualizes everything. Go home tonight. Pick your favorite two Disney characters and type their names in with the word and in between and see what I'm talking about. Without your help and cool head, through that confusion created by our sex-crazed culture, your kids may make a regrettable mistake. I remember in the Dominican Republic in 1995, I saw two men walking down the street holding hands. It was 1995. So I said, is that okay down here? And the Peace Corps volunteer who was hanging out with us said, they're best friends. All men who are best friends walk down the street holding hands here. And then she said with a note of disgust, in cultures that aren't as sexually obsessed as the United States, people are allowed other kinds of intimacy. And when she said that, I instantly remembered in the Bible, David and Jonathan, the best friends in all of Scripture. One night, David was hiding from Jonathan's father, the king, 
and Jonathan is betraying his own father to help David escape. 1 Samuel 20, David rose from behind the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times, and they kissed each other and wept with each other. David wept the more. In cultures that aren't as sexually obsessed as the United States, people are allowed other intimacies. Gay marriage is legal now. Same-sex relationship is part of every form of media and entertainment. Gay rights established. The misguided war to destroy LGBTQ people has failed, and it never should have been started in the first place. If we who hold a traditional view of Scripture have been wrong, if same-sex relationships are not a sin, in this soil it will now blossom into something wholesome and beautiful and people will be set free. If you're open and affirming, now is your time. Let the beauty of it be shown. All media is with you. All culture is with you. The law is with you. More churches every day are with you. Minister to gay and transgendered people and let it become about priceless value and faithfulness. If the traditionalist view is right, it will grow stranger and more perverse with each passing decade, finally collapsing under its own weight, consumed by its own darkness, bringing misery and confusion to all. But the ember of the gospel will never die. It may get so dim you cannot see it. But when the time is right, one puff of the Spirit's breath of priceless value and faithfulness and the beauty of what a man brings to the life of a woman and a woman brings to the life of a man will spring forth into a mighty, roaring, powerful flame once again. We don't need to spend any time tonight fighting about which of these two predictions are going to happen. They are about to unfold. The train has left the station and we are all on it together and we are all going to arrive at whatever countries lie ahead. I want to share some scriptures. Deuteronomy 31. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Matthew 16. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Luke 8. For all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. John 13. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. An expanded version of Romans 8. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecution or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. 
And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord.